Wes, you probably catch XKCD from time to time, but I thought this was hilarious. They have posted the perfect phone, the XKCD Phone 4. And there's a couple of things that I think are just, I don't know why, they're just obvious. First of all, it has a built-in dog whistle. Yeah. It has exposed ductwork on the sign that is yes. software-defined. It has a new bright glow display that incorporates genetically spliced together jellyfish protein. <laughs> it integrates Siri, Cortana, Google Now, and Alexa all at once. They all respond simultaneously. Yes. Oh, that's great. And, uh, of course, it uh, also has a parallel port on the bottom and 12, count them, 12 headphone jacks. That's that's your phone. How often have you been with your 11 best friends and you want to listen to exactly the same thing? Exactly. Or maybe Linux Unplugged, right? right? Yep. Boom. There's your upgrade, Wes. Just bring it to your local lug. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 162 for September 13th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's going back to school. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. How's the install going over there? Oh, it's wonderful. I'm up and uh, doing the show. (laughs) Nice. Hey, well, we got a big show for you today. So buckle up, Wes. Buckle up. Coming up on this week's episode of the Unplugged show, we're going to go through some breaking news just as a sort of a community heads up. We're going to talk about a drone that also doubles as an Ubuntu desktop PC. Apparently, also, speaking of Ubuntu, they're getting attacked for being copyright pirates or something like that. I'll tell you about it coming up on the show Whoa. next. Next Cloud's got a surprise in store. We've got some really interesting open source projects we want to highlight, some updates to cover, some digging around on getting rid of that Intel spyware, a.k.a. the oh, management strong firmware. words from Chris over I know, here. I know. Plus, I had to, uh, I had to fix a, a keyring bork this week. I'll tell you uh, about my keyring bork. We also have Jets flying overhead right now as we record the show. To do great honor to Linux Unplugged. Sending your USB devices over the network. A follow-up on making Linux look a little better. We're going to talk about it in the context of the Loki review. You hear that? You hear that thing? Wow. That's for the show. That's for the show. We're going to also we'll talk about uh, the state of Linux desktop customization. And then we have a very important email to get to. We have a couple of good feedback items. We're going to do something we haven't done for a while. We're going to reach into my mail sack, and we're going to read some some really great emails. Yes. Yeah, some stuff that people have probably been wondering. So we got all of that coming up in today's show. But you know what else we've got, Wes? We've got a totally locked and loaded mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Pay, pay. Time appropriate Listen to that. <laughs> Hello, guys. Boy, it's great to hear all of you in there. And welcome back to Popey. It's been a long time since I've heard Popey's charming voice. It's good to have you here. Now, you smell good, Chris. Thank you. It's, it's I, handsome, even over mumble. I know you do, Popey. Oh, I don't even have to smell you to know. I know. You know what? He, he truly is. So, guys, smell Let's let's just sort of just as a sort of a public service announcement because there's a lot of things we could we could start today's episode off with, but we should probably start with some legitimately breaking news. This is CNN breaking news. So there is a zero day vulnerability right now that could lead to total system compromise for MySQL. It came out yesterday, so it's still pretty new, and I just wanted to put the word out there for any of you out there. It affects – this is directly uh, from the CVE. The vulnerability affects all MySQL servers in the default configuration in all version branches being 5.7, 5.6, and 5.5, including the latest versions and could be exploited both by local and remote attackers. Uh, That was an advisory that was published yesterday afternoon. Um, both the unauthenticated and authenticated access to MySQL databases are an issue. So a SQL in- and it's a SQL injection apparently, but I don't know the details. It's CVE if you want to look it up. It's CVE 2016 
six 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 two. <laughs> well said. I don't. If that's not a sign, I don't know what is. Anyways, so just a heads up to those of you out there that may have uh, MySQL installed. But I actually thought this would be a really fun story to start with. Mm-hmm. I love this so much. This is this makes it feel like uh, we're in we're in Marty McFly's uh, future right now. I might not be able to have the video wall that he had that was super cool, oh, or the dehydrated that. pizza refresher yes. thing, which was amazing. We could be eating pizza right now, but. I bet Marty didn't have a drone that also doubles as an Ubuntu PC. I bet Marty didn't have that. No, he did not. Because we've got that. We have that. Or we could. Well, that's true. It's a development kit from a Parrot, I think. Or is that how you say it? I think so. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm not making fun of him. It's designed to create drones that can avoid obstacles, like the new DJI Phantom 4 that's super yep. fancy, which is uh, I got to tell you, as somebody who's tried doing – well, we've crashed our drone before. Let's just put it that way. It was awful. The development kit itself doesn't have wings, and it needs to be attached to a drone and a flight controller. Otherwise, the kit can be used to create robots. <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> yeah. It's called Slam Dunk, and has a fisheye camera that can capture 1,500 by 1,500 pixel resolution images at 60 frames per second. The camera allows the drone to process the images, which will then be able to identify obstacles. Which is very nice because then you can use those that identification to avoid those obstacles. It also has an ultrasound sensor, a magnetometer, and just for Wes, a barometer. Yes. They say it doesn't need GPS to operate. The development kit has an HDMI port as well as ports for keyboard and mice. Nice. Which means you can build a PC out of it. Uh, there's no price yet. We're going to probably get something in the fourth quarter. But just, you know, what do we always hear about what makes Ubuntu work so great on the cloud? What makes Ubuntu work so great on the cloud? Wes. I think it's the built-in drone support. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I don't. Maybe not yet. I think what you often hear is I can build in my local environment and have it sure. run just like it builds and Dev runs. Matches only. production, right? Yes. There. Mm-hmm. So this is the ultimate version That's of that perfect. because you can make the you can make this little kit. You could hook it up a keyboard and a monitor and a mouse and develop directly on it and strap it onto a drone or a robot. Away you go. And this is this is this is the this is the true one hundred percent dev matches production kind of scenario here. Or when your friends come over and you need an extra computer, you just, you know, sit them down by your drone. <laughs> I can, it has I, to charge anyway, right? I mean what are the when you have a full Ubuntu machine up in the sky, what are the possibilities? With a with a camera on it that has a fifteen hundred by fifteen hundred resolution at sixty frames per second. Is that what it said? Sixty? It runs Ubuntu fourteen oh four. So it's going to feel a little old. <laughs> a little old. <laughs> Just teasing. It's a drone. I I want to see, like, the diagram in the blog post shows a keyboard, a mouse, and a screen. I want to see someone running after the drone with a keyboard, a mouse, and a screen <laughs> oh my trying God, to yes. use it. Or like a, a, like a or like a really long USB cable. <laughs> so that way you can open yeah. it. <laughs> I just I think that's a it's a super neat example too of um uh of how Ubuntu can be used on on a, a range of devices that are actually approachable by consumers so somebody who really had an inspiration could go out and get this stuff eventually at least yeah. in the fourth quarter it looks like that is and, uh, and it's that's the neat. first time where it's uh the in the clouds is legitimate <laughs> 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 Whoa, no, that's good too. Oh, I haven't thought of that. You guys are on top of it today. Okay, so let's while we're talking about Ubuntu, let's talk about this. The Ubuntu torrent was removed, you know, from Google using the infringing uh like uh DMCA yes, takedown. That this horrible process where big companies outsource to these uh third party contra- contracting firms who go out and do these massive sweeps of the net and then they submit these huge DMC takedown requests. 
And, uh, and maybe, or, of course, or or perhaps Hollywood is, hold on a second, full stop, perhaps Hollywood is telling us something. Maybe the robots are on Ubuntu. Oh. Yeah, uh, so Ubuntu 1204's LTS torrent was taken down because apparently, it, according to Hollywood, it infringed on Transformers' Age of Extinction. That was the Ubuntu release that came with Transformers Age of Extinction, right? Just pre-installed? Yes. Starts yeah. right on startup? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in that example content. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I, I just, this, boy, if this isn't a, if this isn't just such a great example, a taking great down example. open source software like this, like what a broken system is this? This is, this couldn't be worse. There's, there's an even better example of why this is broken. Last week, Warner Brothers ordered Google to remove several sites from its own websites because they infringed their own copyright. And right. They had the Batman, Dark Knight and Matrix stuff yanked out of Google search results for their own sites. Boy, I don't mean to so take I don't mean to take this down a notch. Take down take down your own stuff. But what happens what happens when this what happens when they start taking down other legitimate stuff accidentally? Right. Like, where's this stop at? Well, Google aren't, you know, going to put any real effort into checking this because they get millions of these things a day. So how, you know, yeah. nobody can be. It'd be nice if they could charge of... a fee. You know, if you want to take something down, you have to pay X amount so they can't just generate a bunch of bogus requests. Hmm. Mosenrath, you have an idea of where it stops. Yeah, when you sit there and you think about it, what happens when they take down someone else's stuff? Then lawyers show up. Remember how you were discussing lawyers? Um, I don't know which show that it was, but it was in the past couple of weeks. The lawyers will have a field day if Warner Brothers accidentally manages to take down something by, say, Fox or something by just some other company, any other company. Let's just say it was something that involved, say, Microsoft, for example. Microsoft would say, oh, you decided to impinge upon our ability to make money through legitimate means. Well, we have a few people that would like to talk to you. Snap, snap, the shark lawyers show up. Sure. Uh, I, yeah, so basically once they start picking on somebody their own size. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. Well, it's not a matter of picking on because remember, as you're saying, this pre- is pretty much a blanket sweep, right? So it's not a matter of picking on. It's more like because I have size 13 feet, so I got to be careful where I step sometimes because if there's little kids around, I could end up stepping on their, fo- their feet. Now, mm. what happens if someone with size 13 feet on someone else's feet, but who also has size 13 feet, but they're hostile. That's an interesting analogy. And you just came up with that on the fly. Yeah. That was damn good, sir. <laughs> what size are your feet? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's probably got big feet. He's been thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, that is a good way to put it. That is a really good way to put it. Um, and it just is shameful right now. And I th- I think I'm extra sensitive to it because I've I have I almost almost on a daily basis I fight this problem on the YouTube side of things which is also a Google platform right yep and it, I am I am assumed guilty it, exactly that it puts the onus on the the content creator who's just trying to you know like do their thing or the people who are just trying to distribute legitimate mm-hmm. ISOs mm-hmm. and now it's gotten even worse in, from a from a monetate the only the only nice thing about YouTube from a content creator standpoint is. It's got a great user base, and sometimes you can make some ad revenue. Now, for the kind of stuff, that kind of views we get on YouTube, nobody, nobody goes to YouTube to watch long-form content 
except for the awesome people that watch our long form content. Exactly. It, that's right? you know because there is a, definitely an audience for it, but it's not as huge as everybody that's on YouTube to watch fifteen minute, five minute, and ten minute they videos. They see that it's like oh an hour and twenty minutes. And yeah, like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- it's never been like a huge platform for us. We don't make very much money on there at all. And you you know it's 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 almost it barely even makes enough for where they'll actually even pay us. Mm-hmm. But. Um, They've started now demonetizing videos simply for covering current events. And this happens to one of our shows on the JB Network on a routine basis all the time. All right? the time. But it's, it's also even been retro- retroactively happening to like shows called Stoked. I used to do a, a Star Trek online podcast years ago. Okay. It's recently beginning demonetized for covering current events, which wow. doesn't – so they, they are in – some, in some senses, they – they can do everything from revoke JB videos from certain audiences in the world, mm-hmm. completely revoke it, or just not allow it to be funded. There's so much control, and never do they start with, well, let's get the creator's perspective. Let's get the content creator's perspective. Right. Just like this Google takedown. I mean, when you get removed from Google, you're essentially gone. You just disappear from the internet. Um, but it, so far, it's just made for a few good examples. So now let's talk about something that's Outside of Ubuntu. I'm going to use the word Unity, but I don't want you to get Different confused. Context, it's, not, it's not the Unity desktop. It's the Unity uh, gaming engine. And it looks like the Unity gaming engine is getting some proper Vulkan work done right nice. now. Nice. Yeah, this was, uh, this was posted by a software developer uh, over at Unity Technologies. <clears throat> and uh, she shows here an example of a, uh, of, a, of a demo, a Unity demo, running under Vulkan on Ubuntu. Pretty cool. Pretty pretty nice. And and not that I'm some huge fan of Unity games, but it eventually will mean it'll what this will mean is more games for Linux. This is going to exactly. this is going a lot more games for Linux. And that is a that is a big deal. So it's it's not really news anywhere yet. I just happened to catch this on Twitter today. I was just trolling. It's a cool looking screen cap there too. Yeah, that's one of the demos that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I also like that hashtag Linux. It kind of looks like uh, the like the cor- like a corridor of a modern retrofit Millennium Falcon. Like if yeah. the Millennium Falcon got a facelift and uh, they went in and cleaned it up a bit, it would look like that, uh, with big balls rolling around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. Actually, speaking of trolling around on Twitter, I found this on there too from Nixcraft uh, ButterFS status in Linux kernel four point seven. And this is kind of an interesting breakdown. <laughs> and by the way, the Nixcraft ads, the world is already moving on to ZFS. So a couple of things that are still not working properly in ButterFS as of kernel 4.7. I thought I would just mention them here. <clears throat> not, not to ding it, but just so you know. They list defrag as uh, mostly working okay, but extents currently get unshared. Compression um, is mostly okay. Auto repair, auto repair and uh, compression itself may crash from time to time. Scrub and RAID 5.6 are considered unstable. RAID 5.6, write hole still exists also, and uh, parity is not being checksummed. And the free space tree is considered unstable. So if you're on a little Indian machine, you're okay. But if you're on anything but an x86 machine, apparently ButterFS can't calculate free space for shit. I think that's the version 2 free space tree that you have to enable by an option. So these are these are things that are considered totally unstable. Then they have things like uh, device replace, balance, quotas and queue groups, out-of-band dedupe, and uh, file range cloning that are all TBD. William, what do you think of that stuff? Anything else that jumped out at you about butter, the current state of ButterFS? I mean, RAID 5 and 6 is broken. What a surprise. 
<laughs> yeah. To some extent, like we've kind of known that for a long time that it wasn't in a great state and it never really has been fixed stability wise. And I think that right there, your sentiment is my point. I feel like as a community, enough of us have come to a like, ah, uh, this is never gonna, this is just not yep. gonna work. Like I. I feel a little yeah, bit like they've been dumping countless hours into it. Like they've definitely been submitting patches, but it's not really getting anywhere. I, I do feel like the the window of acceptance, or I guess I should say, the court of public opinion may have come to its verdict, and that could change. But it doesn't have the same kind of like momentum or excitement or general like trust or I anything mean, that we'd like to see. At this I also stage. don't see raid five and six being as relevant today as they were ten years ago either. No, I mean, and I still like, use people are running right? like, raid one and raid ten now. Well, I still use it myself. I still use it myself. It's still relevant for me. But why why do you say that? Hold on, I don't hear you. Well, William, what else do you think people are using instead? Oh, he must be. Sorry, my mixer is flaky with the mute button sometimes. It's okay. It's all right. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking is uh, disks take so long to recover now, your large, like, four to eight terabyte disks. Because the read speeds haven't and write speeds haven't gone up enough to counteract how much space you're adding, how much capacity you're adding. So overall, your resilvering or your rebuilding times are taking much, much longer than they used to. True. And so it's not as useful to use RAID 5 and 6 when you could rebuild much faster in a mirrored configuration. Yep, yep. And with less potential for data loss. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and also, use storage is kind of cheap. So yeah, and then it's not the that big a deal to go yeah. 2x. You know, 2x is not a big deal. Yeah, you're losing some, but it's worth it for the speed of everything. All right. I think you're probably, I think, you know, I think you're dead on on that. So, uh, and I, I think, I think I will admit part of the reason I would, I would, the configurations in which I would still use RAID 5 or 6, I guess, would be not a lot of disks. And I've, and I specifically want something that's kind of a straightforward setup. And I, and I, and I, I, I'm thinking of like a, like a, maybe an editing, I mean, I don't even know anymore, but maybe an editing system with a few terabyte drives in it that are super fast. Mm Mm-hmm. But even there, I tend to do actually uh, just a just a, like a RAID zero type setup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends, right? There's so many different set of like how much do you care about? What are your priorities? So I have a feeling there may be a surprise in the air. There may be something we could be talking about next week or whenever. I actually don't know. I don't know when. But it's it, it, if I was going to make a red book prediction, I'm going to say the next cloud project has something up their sleeve, which is going to take the project to the next level. What? Now, uh, they're kicking off a, a NextCloud conference, and they've just uh, put up a blog post about it. They have uh, a couple of uh, headline speakers there. Uh, one of them is uh, the CEO of Canonical, Jane, is it uh, Silber? Is that how you say it? Yep, it is Silber. Yep. yep. And then also uh, Karen Sandler, the executive director of the Software Freedom Conservancy, will be giving some keynotes. And they're going to have lightning talks. And they're going to have hacking sessions where they encourage people to bring hardware and uh, there's going to be a bit of a surprise. That's a bit of a surprise. A bit of a surprise that I can't tell you right now, but I will be able to tell you soon. Come on, Chris, tell us. Tell so, us. if anybody gets a chance to go, let us know. Look at them having a conference. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's cool. They, it kind of like gives them, you know, it defines them a little bit more as their own thing. I, I definitely want to give room to continue to. Uh, to listen to the own cloud version of events mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of break all this stuff down. But in terms of just tactical execution here, the next cloud project is is lapping own cloud. Like the own cloud project or whatever, the own cloud company has stumbled to properly and fully respond 
to the entire series of events. When they finally did, it was through sort of indirect means and blog posts through quote unquote bloggers. And it just all of this all and then and then all of this sort of has been rather they've been rather quiet. They haven't they haven't really been executing well, yeah, yeah. they haven't been executing on promotions as well and I and now this there's a conference happening for next cloud. Like there's there seems to be a lot of momentum it's, there. Right. It feels like it, it feels like it's it feels more like a community. It feels more like there's like there is life there. There's people yes. excited about it. Like if it's just some quiet company that you're if, if no one's talking about it, then why would we talk about it? And whereas with home cloud, I feel that there is sort of it, it has the life support feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that and, and part of me is just like, well, I know I need to, I know I need I need to keep in mind there's two versions of events. There's always two sides to a story. And we haven't fully heard their side. We've begun to hear, but we haven't fully heard. And I keep keeping that in mind. And at the same time, uh, these guys are generating buzz right now. Exactly. But we don't want to rule it out. Like, Home Cloud might continue to be very good, and they might do some exciting things that we want that we're excited about. But you just maybe don't Oracle know. should buy them know. and then kill them. Oh yeah. <laughs> And then Why? we would know what to do. Why? We've established this whole path for software no. to die. Then the Oracle buys here, you. Right? They can buy them. We can have the second open office and LibreOffice. Yeah. And go Eventually they shunt to Apache or NextCloud in this case. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I think that's the worst idea in the show yet. Donate it. Hmm. Or just donate it straight to Apache and then you know it's dead. Hmm. Well... You know, I've been using OwnCloud for a long, long time. In fact, I still have a droplet with it running on there. I don't actively use it, but I can still connect to it and check it out and all that stuff. So I, I'm, I'm keeping one toe in the water. So that's, I think, uh, I'm, you know, but I'm, I, I'm also pulling. I'm also feeling the next cloud pull. Mm-hmm. Anybody, anybody in the mobile room running the next cloud installation at the moment with some yep. regular use? Yep, I have it as a snap on a Raspberry Pi. And what are your thoughts so far? Uh, I like it. It just kind of sits there and runs. I don't really do an awful lot with it. It's not like active because I don't have a huge amount of storage attached to my Pi. Mm, yeah. But I've just been playing with it. Yeah. I should do something like that. A Pi actually would be a good machine just to kind of, yeah. and I could, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to use it for calendaring. I did have a period of time. <clears throat> my own, my, 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 my own cloud peak, my peak own cloud. Right. Was uh, I got we got I got I got all really anti Google for a while, and I seriously exactly. was getting creeped out by the tracking. And I went uh, I went and got an iOS device, and um, I tried proto- I prototyped this on like so I remember I started this whole I got like an iPhone five or something like for f- for free from Ting, and they just sent it to me so I could try this. Ooh. And uh, I set up everything to use my own my 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 calendar my contacts. Everything was pointed to my own cloud Through server. Own cloud, right. So there, and I had a, I had a one, and I didn't, I didn't use a Google search. I had a one hundred percent Google free iOS device. This is a little while ago now. Yeah, and own cloud, it was, it, it reached that point where it was, t- I was totally, totally unaware I was even using own cloud. I didn't. I there it was, was just a backend, pluggable backend. Yeah, like I just, I just had, I had, and and it, I had it syncing with my desktop, my oh, GNOME desktop. Nice. So I, I had calendar events that on my phone. Nice. Yeah, and never at once, never once was I ever having to manage the own cloud server. I just got everything set up once, and it worked. And it, it was a pretty cool experience because I didn't use Apple services and I didn't use Google services. Yep. And so if I ever get around to getting that Ubuntu phone going, I might set something up just like that up. Oh yeah, that's a great cloud. idea. But it would be nice. It's like it. It does seem to work really well for that kind of stuff. It's just when you, when you're using it for that, and then the urge to use it also for your syncing. <laughs> Maybe if it had better support for like you know just being strapped on top, kind of as a layer. Yeah, I would, I would use it more. Yeah. 
Wimby, are you still uh, playing around with uh, a Libre Vault? I am. And yeah. and how is it going so far? Uh, well, I haven't uh, done anything uh, significantly different from when we last spoke, but it's still working. That's good. Although uh, uh, Mark from Ubuntu Podcast contacted me over the weekend because he was doing some testing and he ran into some issues actually getting the thing to run and there was a couple of bugs introduced in a cool. recent update. So, uh, But, you know, file issues on GitHub and the uh, developer's very responsive. So, um, I was about to yeah. ask. That's, that's kind of a good test right there. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'm going to pick up with that. I've I've had a pause on that because I've been busy with other stuff. I'm going to pick up on that next week and put it through its paces a bit more and hopefully look to move something important over to it. My challenge is I've got about I've got about 4 terabytes of data in total that I'll be syncing using whatever whatever I end up using. Wow. And one of the things I definitely noticed with it was a major issue with BitTorrent sync. mm mm-hmm. Mhm is because that data set is so large, it was essentially constantly just working to recalculate the hash on the files, re-index, and by the time it's it got... Just maintaining state. Yes. Just churning. So I had to have a dedi- I had a dedicated machine. Still like do, actually. Just... I still do, actually, have a dedicated machine. It's a VM, but it's a dedicated machine with allocated resources just dedicated to that task. Um, and so I don't know how LibreVault's going to handle that, but that'll be one of the things. And that's the unfiltered show notes are, are uh, just huge. It's just a huge, huge set of data. And I don't, I haven't even released all of you it. You should be like the testing bed for syncing solutions. <laughs> I will be. It's, <laughs> it's unfortunate you can't use sync thing because they have an iNotify solution, which would reduce the polling of the file. Well, I don't know how LibreVault does it. So then maybe they're using iNotify too. Do. Yeah, they could use iNotify. Yeah. I would hope. If they're um, Linux focused. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's I, the wrapper. What's the lib something? Oh, really? Well, that, that does KQ and other stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is – if I have a dedicated machine, it's manageable and I just have it off on a de- set of disks. But I that, that may be changing in the future. So I will be revisiting that. Either way, you know what? I will have it all running through a DigitalOcean droplet. At, that's how I do my cloud component to this. This is when I ran own cloud and when if I try out next cloud, this is what I'll be doing. And when I do a LibreVault deployment – I've, I've had a sync thing on DigitalOcean for like, I don't know, two years now. Just It's just always there. I just assume it just yeah. sits there. It's always on. It's great. You know where the light went off for me? So DigitalOcean, you, you can get a droplet for $5 a month to do this. This exactly. is a, this is a $5 yeah. droplet. Especially if you're not doing, you know, you're not transferring tons of stuff all the time. You just need it to kind of yeah. sit there and when you yeah. need it, it's there. Um, and if you use our promo code Unplugged, you get a $10 credit. So I, 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 the light went off for me when I decided it was time to do a couple of uh, – regional servers to help people that are downloading our unfilter files just get it a little bit faster. So I sort of kick it off by seeding in their location and then other folks, nice. other audience members in those areas pick it up. And it, of course, it, using BitTorrent Sync at the, and now currently, it sort of becomes its own CDN. And so my transfer isn't, isn't that crazy because everybody that's part of the swarm is also transferring the files, right. but yet I'm able to serve them up at local speeds at $5 a month. That is awesome. It is great. It is so great. And, you know, as I, as I switch over to LibreVault, which I suspect I will, I'll just essentially implement the same exact setup. And, you know, they have templates, which makes it super nice. They also have snapshots, which is great before you make a big transition like I'll be making. And they have an API that allows me to automate, like, the rebooting and, and the managing of these systems 
really easily. And I can just use apps that have already been created by the open source community. So check them out at DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code D-O-Unplug. They're all SSD-based storage. They have block storage you can attach as you need it. So as the unfiltered storage grows now, I can add that, which makes being able to seed it with all of the content, the entire back catalog now, much more possible, which whew, is going to be super nice. And something else that they are uh, they are uh, sort of drawing everyone's attention to is high memory droplet price, high high memory droplet pricing. I should, it's easy for me to say. It's high memory droplet plans that offer large amounts of RAM, which is super That's super really cool. Handy. I mean, I'm talking like when I say large amounts of RAM, I'm talking like 128 gigabytes of wow. RAM. Or, or oh, holy, holy crap, 224 gigabytes of RAM. Damn, that is nuts. DigitalOcean, could you, and then combine that with the SSD-backed block storage. And, you know, they're using it's Linux screaming. for all of these systems. KVM for the virtualizer, I couldn't say more. DigitalOcean.com, just use our promo code DOUnplug. You apply that to your account, you get a $10 credit, and you just supported the Unplug program. Keep us going. DigitalOcean.com, D-O, unplugged. And I wouldn't mind to try out one of those 256-gig uh, droplets. I know, yeah, just for a little while, you know, just an hour or two playing with it. Jeez Louise. You know, I wonder, would, so what were you talking to me about on the pre, uh, before the pre-show? That, that What you were talking about with the, with the persistent uh, RAM state, would that work on a virtual machine? It's a good question. It might, yeah. Do you want to recap what it was? Oh, I was just talking about the uh, kernel's persistent memory support for having like a block device in persistent memory. So apparently I had no idea. This is a module that's been available for a while that allows you to convert part of a space of memory, of and, RAM, yeah, to persistent so storage. And so it's meant for like for dealing with persistent you know, like. Is like, this sort of the back-end technology that RAMDIS used to create a RAM disk, or is this beyond that? Is this something it's else? similar, but this is de- developed uh, – in theory, to support like non-volatile RAM. Oh, so if you have like that bank, I don't have that, but for development purposes as well as, as other purposes, you can mark a- any segment of RAM. Basically, you say like leave this unassigned, and then the kernel can make a block device out of it. Okay, and that actually the store the con- what, but the content you store there persists after a reboot. Not not like a full reboot. Um, not if you like actually turn the system off. But okay. if you keep the system running, and for instance, Kexec. Then yeah. Yes, because if as long as you mm-hmm. don't as long as you don't wipe that memory and yeah. then you boot the new, new kernel, also treating those memory regions as a block device, then bam, that's cool. Yeah, so you can just have a whole system running in RAM, reboot right back into. Yeah, it. you could. Oh, <laughs> that'd be fun. So, what were you using that for? Uh, not not really anything specific. <laughs> More just playing with it. But in theory, uh, you know, you can. There's there's a lot of just like speed up use cases, or maybe you just want to have a system who you know all your data. You use your disk just for data, and then you bootstrap into that kind of environment off like a Pixie Boot server or something for your root file system. This is uh, this is officially our geeky segment because I'm going to play off that. And I was just talking about KVM, which I think is the world's best uh, virtualizer. And is that even the right term? Should I hypervisor? Is that what I should be yeah, saying? Maybe. Yeah. It is, but this is called Kimchi. It's an HTML management interface for the SOB. So you, of course, probably are familiar with boxes. Mm-hmm. Very nice GUI to manage KVM or, or whatever. But Kimchi is an HTML-based management tool for KVM. It's designed to make it easy and possible to get started. And look at these, uh, look at these screenshots. Here's the login here. And uh, here's uh, where they've got uh, several virtual machines running. Oh, I like those icons there. Yeah. They, they match. They recognize distros automatically, and the virtual machines get the distro icon next to it, which is very nice. Honestly, this is so nice. I probably should have kept it as a secret and then done it as like a, like a big segment on Linux Action Show. 
Uh, they should, it has a web interface that'll show you the list of running guests, including live screenshots of the guest nice. session. You can use action buttons to shut down the guests, or you know, you can connect to the display of the guest in the browser. I was about to ask. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably the way I'm gonna. Th- oh boy! Oh boy! I Chris just gotta- has got an idea. Everyone. Oh boy! Oh boy! I see. I was thinking. I was. Oh boy! I was thinking. I was going to use Proxmox in Lady Jupes. So one, you know, Wes, I'm working on setting up a, a, a Linux-based network in the RV. Yes. And I was thinking, I only want one computer. So you're going to have like a virtualized all-in-one. I was thinking Proxmox. It's worked super sure. solid here. It has been a total work champ. And we've got machines that have been running literally since day one that we put when we moved in it was one of the first things we stood up were these machines. That's awesome. And they're still running today. It's been bulletproof. So I was thinking, well, I should just set up Proxmox. But honestly, with kimchi It's I, probably I, a lot you know, it's a lot easier to just bolt on. I would I think I would rather do this yeah. with the, like a a base server install and then load kimchi to manage it. Because the thing is gonna the other thing about it, it's gonna be under a cow it's gonna be under a bench sealed up. I, there won't be a monitor I can get yeah. to or anything like that. So this is this could be this this could be the virtualization solution. This might be my Proxmox replacement. I was recommending Proxmox to a friend, but oh, yeah. he was kind of running into things that he was already kind of you know the server he was had in mind. He kind of already set it up. He was already using Ubuntu on it, and he didn't really feel like you know he didn't want to wipe and reinstall and that. So like he might just be able to bolt this right, right on and bam. All right, there you go. You're well, I mean, and it, it it could be perfect for me. This because I would much rather just have like a, a base sixteen oh four server install or something like that, and then install this on top of it. Proxmox is fantastic, but it still is a little too free nazzy for me in the yes. sense that it's too much of a pre built setup. That Especially I'm... if you're only going for one device, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if it's your office and you just stick it in the corner, that's fine. Yes. But when you have the device that, like, in six months you might need it to do a whole new function yes. that Proxmox doesn't support. Yeah. Here we have a dedicated Proxmox machine, and it runs in the garage twenty four seven, and that is the only thing it does. And I just cannot do that in an RV. So this is going to be th- I. I can I cannot wait to play with it. It's called Kimchi, and uh, we will have a link in the uh, show notes to the GitHub page. So while we're in the geeky category, I wanted to talk about the management firmware that comes with the pretty much most Intel machines for years now, right? I mean, it's, I think it's been in there since the core series, perhaps. I don't know when it was added, but it's certainly been here. Yeah, for the. But like all things that are in, bundled with the Intel stuff, they iterated on every single release, constantly adding features, and it is. It is – some people call it like the uh, sort of the spyware, Intel spyware that is – it's proprietary. There's We have no idea what it does. It's called the management uh, management firmware. Is that what it's called? Management engine. Management engine. Thank you. Thank you. And it does all kinds of crazy things. Like apparently it uses your network connection to go out and synchronize with NTP servers. Uh, if you run Windows, it supports functions like syncing your Wi-Fi network passwords to the firmware chip itself. Um, and, of course, no source code is available for this. Well, no. And the Corbu project has been, has been keen on replacing this or getting rid of it. And there's been some experiments by, I'm going to say, Trammell? 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 Yeah, maybe Trammell. I'm, I, I apologize. I, I'm, I, I'm so horrible with names. Yeah, and of come course, join us and then correct us. That would be, geez, that would be great. If we could just have a name person on here. I'd be all about that. Uh, but you are familiar with his work if you're not familiar with his name. Uh, he is the one that created the Magic Lantern firmware. He reverse engineered the firmware on the Canon 5D Mark II. Oh wow! Yeah. that is really cool. Yeah, he's I also am with that. he's also the guy behind Thunderstrike, which is a proof of concept EFI firmware root, root kit for Apple's MacBooks that uses uh, uh, Thunderbolt and uh, 
We've covered it extensively yep. on TechSnap. Yep. Uh, he is so he you you're probably familiar with some of his work, even if you're not familiar with the name, like I wasn't. And he's been poking around at trying to get the uh, trying to get around or disable this management engine. And he says, uh, I'm experimenting with what happens if I remove the management engine firmware from the lower SPI flash chip on a ThinkPad X230. I just erase the first four kilobytes of its region. Take that. And then Coreboot boots up fine and reports that this has a bad firmware. The management engine has a bad firmware. But it continues on, and Linux actually initializes without any complaints. And then he went to try to remove the entire region of memory, and of course it immediately wouldn't boot at all. But he, so he's beginning to experiment with where, what he can poke at and what he can damage in the management engine. I like that. To make That's it unusable, but still to make Linux bootable. Right. Which is kind of a great idea. Yeah, right. What an interesting approach. We're, we're cracking the Des- management engine. Destroy the did damn thing. X230. What's that? Which version of the ThinkPad did he say? X230? Yeah, yeah it's the X230, ThinkPad X230. Oh, so I wonder if he can still do that with later models because I've heard they are locking down the management engine more and more and relying on it. Yeah, there's some discussion about that in the thread, I believe. Okay. So I'm kind of curious if the X230 isn't the best representative model for this. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And you know, I mean, in some ways that might be true for actual production solutions, but in other ways it allows him to to uh, poke at this and actually be able to see what kind of results and proceed. So in some ways maybe it's good, but in other ways it means it's not applicable to to people that are getting newer ThinkPads. Yeah, that's a good that's good to know. In the in the good to know column, have you have you ever uh, have you ever had to enter in like your keyring password on the GNOME desktop? Or, sure. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe I think this will probably apply to Unity as well, or Ubuntu Mate. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I don't know actually. Maybe I I could ask Wimpy. I'm so the GNOME keyring is that that's a that is a is that on the Mate desktop? Yep, it is. Oh, okay, yeah. so I had a I had a I had a very privileged thing happen to me. Um, it is one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. Is I had other people build a computer for me. What I, I, I had to pay for the components for my own Bitcoin, but <laughs> I had your a, own treasure. I had other people assemble them for me, uh, mainly the Beard and, and Noah. And he created. Uh, we created. We we covered the machines. We we sent. This is way. This is months and months and months and months ago. And he he even installed Anagros for me. He he set up Noah. He set up Anagros for me. He set up real nice. Installed a few apps for me. And set the That's password sweet. to something generic and said, all right, have at it. See you later. Um, and I said thanks, sat down, started using it, and I opened up Chrome, and I got a keyring prompt for the password. I typed in my password that he would set, and nothing happened. Wrong password. I typed in other variations of generic passwords right. I know Noah's used from the time to time. Studio. Nothing happened. It was at that point I realized... I don't know my keyring password. Ah, screw it. I don't care. It won't be a problem. Right. Well, it turns out I tried to, I, so I began setting up Nileus N1. Okay. Yeah. Am I saying Nileus? Nihilus? Nihilus N1, uh, the mail client, trying to set up my own server, get all that stood and standing. Interesting. And N1 specifically relies on the GNOME keyring uh, to store your credentials very, like, for Google. Yeah. And so because I could not unlock my, unlock my keyring, I couldn't, you couldn't use set that. up N1. And so then I so then I had to set off on a mission. I was on a mission now yep. to be able to solve this problem. I didn't know what I could do because I didn't know what the password was. And the only way to change the password, obviously, is to provide the previous password. Yep. Can't do that. And I don't want to reload because the machine's freaking perfect. Except for this one thing. Yes. So I... Delete the key ring? So here's what I did. 
And there's probably there's probably a few ways to crack this nut, so please leave a comment and let me know. But what I did is I installed Seahorse, and uh, then I went into Seahorse, and I selected the key ring that was there, mm-hmm. and uh, I deleted it, which means it deleted anything that had it in there. Um, and they prompts you for a few times. And then I went to the file menu, new, created a new key ring, set in a password that I knew. And then this is the key part you have to do. <laughs> After you create the new key ring, you have to right click on the new key ring and say set as default. Ah, yes. and, and then go reconfigure the applications that were trying to store their key ring credentials. So I then went and reset and reset up and won. And then it prompted, and actually because I already had my keyring unlocked, everything just worked. Yeah, it just worked, right. So I have links in the show notes, but Seahorse was the uh, keyring manager that I decided to use. And I have I have a brief description in the show notes if you I ever run into this. i good things about Seahorse. Yeah. Has it worked well? Yeah. And you know you know why I was trying out N1 is totally, this is not really related to Seahorse. But N1 has totally kick-ass Keybase IO integration. It really does, yeah. Oh, have you played with it too? Yeah. Yeah, you should follow me, and I should follow you on Keybase and okay. all that s because I'm I'm Chris Les on Keybase.io. Okay. Beautiful. Um, and that I have been getting some emails this week that people have been using my, and I needed a I needed a solid way to oh, respond. Oh, they support it very nice. I was yes. actually quite impressed with that. Yeah. So the so did you go for the pro? Did you stand yes. up your own server? Yeah. No, I ended up. I decided I'm trying both. I'm I'm okay. still I'm building really my own server, this. but I also be so I. So this week, I have been getting a lot of emails for Unfilter that are encrypted. I'm like, I need a way to, to do you this. support this. Yeah, yeah. I got to. So I went and bought Pro in the meantime, but I actually already have a droplet set up where I've already started to. But I just didn't have time to. Sure, it's sure. all moving yeah. very fast. It's been a busy week. Um, but damn, that if that ain't if that ain't a sweet integration, and it totally beats a dig mail or whatever you call it in Thunderbird. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Anyways, keybase.io slash Chris Les. And what are you on there? Uh, you I think know? I'm West Payne. Let's look. Jeez, West. I, no, I'm Noble Payne. I'm Noble Payne on there. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, so I've I've been enjoying Elias in that sense, and I, apparently it also is super vigilant about tracking when people read your emails. Have you noticed this? Yes. So they have this. I think that's a pro only feature. They have you know they have like the built in support for like read tracking and that kind of stuff, so that when they open it. They're you know downloading something from yeah. their servers that keeps yeah. track of that they've seen it. Yeah, which maybe that's important to you. Well, um, I'll tell you, it's been interesting because I've been corresponding with an individual from the Linux Foundation recently, and um, it is interesting to get that bit of information from time to time. It it is helpful, I will sure. say, to get that bit of information. Just a little metadata. Uh huh. Uh huh. And so that was an unsurprising perk of using of using N one that yeah. I I I, I thought the, read receipts were like the it's not even it's like it's more than read receipts though isn't it yeah. it's something else what's the uh, pricing on the pro right now do you know <sighs> I don't let me go look because it's not cheap but I was pretty happy with their client though and the you know it played pretty nicely with like fact, my work email I think and... they make it really oh pricing no here they go right here uh, so it's oh it's oh okay it's not nearly as much as I remembered it's seven dollars a month. But for me, here's 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 why I like this a lot is uh, I have uh, a lot of I have right now I have over thirteen thousand unread email messages and I usually get that down to about five thousand and that's about as low as I ever get. Sure. And so having an email client that anything that can help me search faster, we're gonna actually today in this show we're gonna we're gonna read email, we're gonna cover email in in later on in the show it's. It's one of the it's one of the first times in, in probably a year that we've read email on this show yeah. simply because I now have a, a slightly better workflow to, to collect email. You can actually look at the email. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been worth it. it. It actually has been worth it for me because uh, it's been good for 
uh, some encrypted communications or, you know, GPT encrypted communications for Unfilter. It's been great for corresponding with the Linux Foundation and it's been great now for for this particular function. So I do like it quite a bit. I I think it's rather nice. It's, It's bulky. It is not cheap. You can stand up your own server. I'm going to work on that. But right now I decided to try this because I wanted to use this right away. Yeah. But it also is like, you know, you're using some other you're using some other backend anyway that's probably free. So, you know, maybe there's an angle where you're like, well, yeah. is, is it enough of a, a thing on top that I, I would I would not I would not recommend it for most people just if you're concerned at all about a third party right. being involved in your email. Unless you're using Google services, then go screw yourself, you're a hypocrite. All right, I want to talk about something else that's totally unsecure. USB IP. This is brilliant. This is such a brilliant project. I, I this is this is something that actually could be really great for Linux terminal service project. USB IP is a project aimed at developing a general USB device sharing system over an IP network. USB IP encapsulates USB IO messages into TCP IP payloads and transmits them between computers. Original device Drivers and applications can be also used on the remote computers. So they have, with no modification, they have no idea. So USB storage disks work just fine. Even even tools like FDisk and MakeFS and Mount all work fine. USB keyboards and mice, webcams and speakers, USB printers even, uh, and... uh, and USB Ethernet devices. It currently is implemented as a Linux device driver and available under the GPL. Its I/O performance is enough for practical. For it says this is. I think the English is a little broken. Performance is enough practical in local area network for all types of devices, including I/O synchronous devices, without wow. any modification of Linux original USB device drivers. Interesting. This could be big for us. Because this could essentially turn any webcam into an IP camera for right. us. Yeah. And we could bring we could bring these into our OBS machine. We could have this 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 could work so amazing because we could have little machines that could be Raspberry Pis all over conferences with USB web cameras that we could pull into our OBS that machine. That would be amazing. Yeah. Wow. I'm super excited about this project. I'm very it's it's selfish I'm selfish, but I'm very excited because it if if Ooh. the host network was good enough to support it, and it doesn't have to be crazy, we could really, we could really uh, essentially have a uh, Linux-powered IP camera solution here. Boy, yeah, I wonder neat? if that would work. I'm going to try. We should, we have to try. Yeah, I think so. Well, maybe I can get Noah and Rika to try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey guys. So take all the things and put them over IP. What do you think, Mosenrath? I'm not so sure I would actually trust that. You know, like if you're going to do that over, say, like a private network, a monitored network, sure, go right ahead. But if you're not, think about it for a second. People are already hacking, like, you know, webcams and all that kind of stuff already using whatever means. I'm not smart enough to remember how that's all done. But now if you're putting them all on the net via the wonderful, wonderful world of IP, what happens if someone does? says, oh, I know what that is, I know what that is, I know what that is, and starts just pretty much using all those IPs to literally just record all the stuff that you're doing that way, instead of recording, you know, what's going on on your computer, using your computer to record you. So this has totally got a lot of huge, massive 
unbelievable security ramifications that we probably can't even begin to touch on. I mean, this is huh. this is the project even says, you know, use this for devices you trust. But on a local area network here, like in the studio, where we're, we're the only thing we're doing is production. Right. Or, or or where we could go set up a network where you could trust that network, a dedicated switch, that kind of thing, which is what we would do. Oh, man. That if you do in a controlled environment, I think it's it's it, there's a lot of yep. potential to this. Yeah, William, do you have thoughts on it? We're just gonna say lock it down. Yeah, yeah. lock it down. I mean, controlled you know, environment. It's taking over, you know, IPsec or. Whatever. And then it'd be great. It'd be amazing. Could also this could also be a great way to do network installs. You could have um, remote IP USB flash drives, or I don't know. I mean, just there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of potential it here. Me, it reminds me of like uh, NDB or the network block device DRDB. Is that what you're? Is well, that they're similar to that. Oh, but, uh, network no. block device. What are you talking about, Wes? How you can mount a you mount a block device over the network? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. DRDB is more like block device replication. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, I follow. You. Yeah, think, but yeah. same thing. But yep. now this can be mm-hmm. just any mm-hmm. USB device. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. I'm pretty excited about it. Anyways, well, I wonder uh, if you could do like a synergy type thing. Not not like as synergistic, obviously, because it would be you know taken over by one machine, but like. Here's my keyboard over here. Yeah, and really. It's mounted on that machine. I think you probably could. I think you. I think. Yeah. I think that would probably. I don't know why that wouldn't work. That could be a. And you. Hmm. Because to the Linux host, it just it just looks like a USB local device. Right. The, the 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 software level is just. Totally this is exactly the kind of thing about Linux where it's like you know maybe you have like practical applications right in your mind, but there's just so much fun in playing with it, and mm-hmm. there's like so many things that you'll discover like. Maybe it actually is useful to you just because yeah. you can do it. I legitimately, on this computer over here, already have a Telegram thread going with Noah talking about how we could use this in ah. production. So we will probably test this yes. and get back to you guys on it because it, I think it's I think it has some serious potential. I am uh, I am constantly trying to scheme different. I actually kind of blame uh, I kind of blame Wimpy in some ways, but I'm constantly trying to scheme uh, ways we can uh, we can come up with uh, cool solutions for using Linux to podcast right. and then. And then contribute back to those projects uh, in user air four that'll come out, God knows when because I'm I'm gonna going on a road trip. Soon. Cat dev random that's when. But in user air four, we talk about some of the uh, uh, technology changes we've been doing on the back end, and one of the new open source projects that Rikai has been contributing to, uh, sending patches back to to produce user air, and uh, it is uh, it's pretty awesome because so far at least, and I know this will probably not always be the case, but so far every upstream project we've begun working with. Uh, for the tools we're using in-house, has been damn receptive. That's awesome. And in the case of the tool we're going to talk about in user 4 is implementing the patches right away. So some of the stuff that uh, we needed to get fixed to to improve playback on Android devices and stuff, he's already he's already fixed it upstream. Wow. And, yeah. It's so That's we started great. we started in-house like well we'll patch that we'll patch it ourselves right. and then no, Rikai Rikai contacted the developer and we've had a couple of successes like that now. So anyways, we'll talk about that. In the Stay user Air 4. But it is really cool to be able to take this stuff and say, this gives Linux an advantage in production. Right. Of course, that's the lens in what I look at this. But that is – it is where we're, we're going to build a pretty good list here of reasons that make Linux awesome to do media production pretty soon. And uh, it's going to make the Mac look like a joke. Woo. You know what else looks like a joke? The rest of the mobile industry compared to Ting. I mean it is – They got nothing. The, these, the duopolies, they try to be creative, but really they just want to soak you for every single thing. See, that's not how Ting does it. Ting is just pay for what you use wireless. It's $6 for the line, and then you just pay for what you use. Ting keeps rates simple. We don't make you pick a plan. Instead, you just use your phone as you normally would. 
How much you use determines how much you pay each month. You can have as many devices as you want on one account. That's good, because when you use more, you pay less per minute, message, or megabyte of data. Your usage, plus $6 per active device on your account, plus taxes, is your monthly bill. Simple. That's what we mean when we say... Mobile. That makes sense. And then they, they back it up with fantastic, passionate customer service. You get to talk to a real human being. They stay on the line. I remember when I was on my road trip out to Noah's house and I had a MiFi issue that wasn't Ting's fault. And I legitimately, I legitimately thought at least three times, it is totally understandable for this person to bail on me right, right now. I mean, like, it's just a human that could be like, listen, sir, it should work. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And I have, I, have, I have been in that support role before. Exactly. Right? And so I'm like... Totally understandable and legitimately they stuck with me the entire time and uh, it was – I was so damn impressed with that experience. But honestly, I don't often talk to the Ting customer support because they just have a great dashboard. They, the control panel really Web lets app, you manage dashboard. everything. And, just, an, and an app for your phone too. Yeah. It's really nice. And the nice thing about it, I'll just say, you can go in there and set limits on certain people's accounts. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Ha! <laughs> you got to lock the beard down. He He's data hungry. He loves <laughs> <laughs> They've also got a whole line of devices. They're unlocked. You own them outright. They're yours. It's such a, like an upfront and honest way to do mobile service. Mm-hmm. There's no like secret backdoor deals where you have to call up and ask about no, when you can get your next agreements phone. Agreements or contracts exactly, or yeah. commitments. It's Early it's, termination fees. <sighs> none of that. It's gone. You just got to go to linux.ting.com. That'll take $25 off your first device. Or if you bring a device and they get CDMA and GSM. It'll take $25 off your first month, which will probably pay for the whole damn thing depending on how much you use. So just start by going to linux.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged Program. All right. So, Wes, you and I were uh, sort of kvutzing recently. Is that kvutzing? Is that what? About uh, the state of desktop customization. I gave uh, Loki a, a pretty good review in 434. I think, it's a, I think it's got a couple of rough spots, but overall it's a pretty polished desktop, a unique product. Yes. But it... From a customizability standpoint, that's not its strongest standpoint. It's not where it's really – that's not where you go. If you want to have a really custom experience, there's a lot of other options. There's the Plasma desktop. There is some great themes for the GNOME desktop. And it's interesting because different distributions make it easier or harder to accomplish this. Um, and if you, look at, uh, if you look at distributions like Arch, yep. there is easy access, but there's no direct tools that allow you to necessarily – implement those themes. Right. You look at distributions like Ubuntu Mate that come with the tweak tool that allow you to choose a, a general layout, which is an overall interface paradigm, but not actually a, a, a theme tool itself. There's separate, there's separate theme tools. Right. But they're sort of predefined, preset. You have a box in which you can play. And, and, and so there's a lot that can be done, but depending on the desktop you choose and the distro you choose or the combination in which... The variability is very high. Yeah, really, it really is. And so you've been recently doing, uh, I think you just reloaded from Fedora, right? Yeah, well, I was just uh, getting ready to, my laptop has been polluted by all the various things we've tried here on the show. No so, doubt. So I thought like, well, let's reinstall and I can kind of want to redo some of the partitioning to better, you know, have better space when I do want to reinstall like six operating systems at a time to give them a shot. Uh, and I was just thinking about it. And it's not like my main workstation. It's kind of like my on-the-go laptop when I, you know, when I'm out and about and don't need serious power or anything else. So, so it's not crucial. It's not like you know the one I spend all my time on. And I was just thinking about it. It's like I'm very comfortable installing Arch. I like installing Arch, but there's kind of that last layer of like 
picking themes, choosing them, remembering like which directories I need to stick them in so that they'll be picked up by the right programs. You know, even things down to like customizing my Vim setup and that sort of stuff where it's, it, it sometimes it takes me a little bit to get going and there are just some things about Antigross in particular in this case, I was just thinking, well, it's, I can get like a really nice desktop where I can still customize everything I need to, right? Like there's not crazy things installed by default, but I'm up and running in a thing that looks beautiful and like I'm not ashamed to have next to my wife's MacBook. That's an interesting criteria. And I don't I don't usually do that. I'm not saying that's like yeah. what I will do. Yeah, yeah. But I follow you. Uh, but I feel like it's when you say it was easier, a, was it because it just came pre-installed with Numix or was it, or was it something else? I, I think so. I think it's more just what – what we lack is that like that sense of design in a lot of ways. Like elementary has it, right? And that's kind of one of the things that sets them apart. Other distributions have it too. Um, but especially in like the Wild West of Arch or some other places, I feel like it's, you know, you see like the Unix porn subreddit and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of good examples there, but it it really is something you you have to figure out. If you want something that's non-standard, but you want it to look nice, you really have to figure it out for yourself. Mm. And there's like such a, there's such a huge array of different possibilities. Mm. There's a lot of directions I think we could go. Um, and I, I, I guess I have one – I obviously have one take on this, but I kind of want to bounce it around the mumble room a bit. Uh, and uh, I haven't heard from Popey for a while, so I'll start with him. I'd like to hear Popey's thoughts on desktop Linux customization. And if you have just general thoughts, but also on uh, if, it's, if it's really something that we need to be concerned with at all. I'm I'm the worst person to ask because I'm the kind of guy who installs a, um, a desktop and then leaves it basically. So I think default. that makes you the perfect person because yeah. it's a totally <laughs> different perspective. Which is I'm kind of like I so, want to live your world for a second. So I just don't care. I just want it to get out of the way and get on with doing my applications. I'll generally accept whatever the wallpaper is. I might change it, but I've gone for months with whatever the default wallpaper is on my distro. And probably the only thing I would fiddle is the size of the launcher on the side. It's just make it a little bit smaller. I'll install loads of apps, of course. Um, and I might change the default. So instead of having Firefox as my default, I may have Google Chrome, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, Maybe in a terminal, I might change the font and the font size, but really, that's it. I I, hmm. I don't change. Do you consider an awful yourself lot. a very distractible person? Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So I guess uh, I mean I mean yes, yes, totally. If if by that you mean, you know, I mean I have loads of windows open with all my social networks in and all that kind of stuff. And I also, you know, have a phone nearby pinging me every, and yeah, I can get easily distracted. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, that's, I, I, um, I, I, I just think that for me, I, I, the reason why I customize is because I can't stop until it's just right. And I, and I feel like it steals brain cycles to use a CPU term. I feel like it steals cycles from my brain right. until I've got it just right. So here's a different question. Yeah, has it has I, it gotten easier or less important because it's easier? Like I feel like ten years ago, if you were using Linux, like especially like when Compiz was the rage and all that, yeah. like you wanted to customize, right? You wanted yeah. to like show off and be like, look, I yeah. can make this look cool. Yeah. Is it just that to these days, like we've done a good enough job that most distributions you install, like they they look mm. respectable. Like you don't have to That's, try to compete yeah. to make them look like Windows or Mac because they're think, their own thing. I think there's a part of that, but I mean, when I was working on Windows, when my when my work laptop would have been a Windows machine, I would have probably done the same as Chris, and I would have tuned it and moved the launcher right. and fiddled this. Uh, and what are those a bunch theming of things for Windows and, even called? Oh my God, yes, the, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the but dark days. I would have done. 
I would have I would have done all of that to get it absolutely perfect because I'd be sat at that computer all the time. Nowadays, I actually just accept most of the defaults, and I find that's fine. Like I have a Windows 10 machine that I do um, that's mostly gaming, but I do a bit of surfing when it happens to be booted into Windows. Sure. And I don't change that at all, other than move the launcher to the left-hand side, because mm. that makes sense. What kind of <laughs> barbarian has the launcher at the bottom of the screen consuming vertical real estate? That just sounds insane. So I move the launcher to the left, and that's it. Job done. Job done. That's that's that. I like it, Popey. That's a good perspective. Now, Mr. Sipes is in the in the mumble room, and he, you had a chance to look at uh, elementary OS. What do you think about a, a, a distribution that really focuses on? We're going to just make it look right out of the box and call it good. You stole the words out of my mouth, Chris. I used it this past week, and it is freaking awesome. I'm the guy, I'm kind of like you, I try to tweak everything to make it just perfect, and until then, it's it's not right, and I popped into elementary, and once I got my head around the keyboard shortcuts that they right. that are slightly different than yep. Unity, yep. I was pretty much there. There are a couple of things which I got back to the team about that I think are just little bugs, maybe, that could be uh, squashed and make the experience even better, but man, like their defaults are like dead on and it kind of made me upset and I hate to do this while Popey's in here, but the, it kind of made me upset because elementary has the polish and has the, the out of the box experience that at this point, I really wish that I got that same feeling when I popped up unity. Center. Oh! <laughs> You're entitled right. to your opinion, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Now I want to give uh, Ryan. I, I yeah, I, I, I think if I could have, if I could sum up my last review about Elementary OS, it would be: it is the default configuration in which my ADD mind can relax and I can just get work done. Yep. And I think I could, if I could have just said that, if I, if I could have probably summarized the entire review. Just North, get rid of that last episode. But North Ranger uh, is on the opposite side of this spectrum. He says, "Screw, just let it just sit there and don't tweak it." The tweaking is the the beauty of the Linux desktop. Is that right, North Ranger? Yeah, you know, and my experience has kind of grown, I think, with the way the Linux desktop has grown because, you know, way back in the day, I vaguely remember messing with, you know, Favoom and then Openbox on Fedora. Okay, the yeah. Red Hat at the time um, was, you know, you know, actually kind of settled into I just want it to work during the Ubuntu GNOME 2 days. Uh, but when the Ubuntu or the, when the Unity split happened, I kind of checked out on desktop Linux for a while. And it was about, I want to say about GNOME 3.12 or 3.14 when I really jumped back in. But even though I liked the way that uh, the GNOME folks were handling things, I still wanted things to work a certain way. So I went down the extension rabbit hole, man. I I probably have about (laughs) 30 GNOME extensions installed right now. Oh, don't know what that's like. Nothing! And I tell you, the beauty, I think, of the system that is available, particularly on the GNOME side nowadays, is how programmable it is. Um, I had a great example of the screencast extension that allows you to record your desktop. Yeah. And I didn't like the GStreamer um, settings that it was using. And, hey, it's just a JavaScript file. I could go in and mess with it. And I thought that was awesome that it's not only the look and feel, it's actually how the desktop works. Awesome and terrifying. I agree. I agree. Um, well said. I actually thought you were going to come at me, come at me with the Blasma desktop. Uh, Minimech, I want to give you a chance to jump in. Uh, go, go for it, sir. 
Yeah, especially on small screens, I would love that all the desktop environments would have an auto-height or IntelliHeight top bar because that top bar takes space and, uh, yeah, it, it's space lost for me. Yeah, that, that precious vertical space because all our screens are now 16 by 9 or widescreen aspect ratio. So right. we, it is, vertical space is at a premium. Now, there is one voice that's been absent so far and that would be Mr. Wimpy and – like it or not, Wimpy may be sort of the face of traditional desktop on Linux. Now, traditional desktop that has moved forward in ways that make a yes. lot of sense. But Wimpy, we've talked a lot. Of, we've talked around this a lot, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I make a distro and I added a tweak tool so I could pre-bundle the default suit me, which is the Cupertino layout. Mm. So when I installed Ubuntu Mate, I so you do customize it. it. You just build a tool to just automatically just build, build, <laughs> yeah. build it to do, what and the I rest of us get to benefit. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way to do it, yep. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, there are tools, uh, but then there is the practical matter of getting the themes, and I think this is, and I'm not. This is not a. This is not a Archmaster race thing. I just think honestly, this is where Arch probably pulls ahead. Is the AUR has all the best themes. <laughs> it really does. And 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 the the simple fact of the matter is you can do pack AUR dash capital S GTK dash theme dash arc enter and you now have the best theme available for the GNOME desktop. You didn't have to Google for a PPA. You didn't have to make sure it was the right PPA. You didn't have to add it to your software repository. Yep. You didn't have to add the key if you needed to. You didn't have to refresh your your source list. And then you didn't have to issue the install command separately. It it's already done and you've already configured your GNOME desktop to have that theme. It is legitimately one of the best distribution when it comes to choosing a theme because it's just in the AUR. And I I think that's I think that's one area where I've really enjoyed Cinnamon and the Plasma desktop is in their theme selector. They just download the themes for yes. you. I feel like, – because that's one of the things about themes I guess that I would – from before is that it feels very much like there's not a central index. There's not a lot of like – can you – and if someone knows like is there a good like 2015, 2016 – really good guide about how to theme Linux and all the different options and where you go and what are popular themes and where to look for those things. I feel like it's kind of like something you gradually learn. You have to know Linux people who know what good themes are to listen to Chris Lass's, you know, very good opinions about them. Well, thank uh, you. So it's nice if they, if you know, the AUR is kind of one of those places where like you have like yeah. blessed themes. Well, or if you in have the something AUR at in. least you can type in GNOME theme search and then su- and search right. by votes or, or popularity and get a good idea of which themes people are installing. Yes, it provides like something like that. That's a nice – for people that like to tweak their desktop, that is a, that's an inherent advantage. But Mr. Sipes says he has the ultimate solution. Yeah. So here's what I say. I say that, uh, that Canonical hire Wimpy and hire the elementary team and they work really hard on making things customizable but also really nice and polished out of the box. What do you think of what do you think of that, Chris? You think we should uh, pressure <laughs> pressure them into into doing that? Uh, I actually think what we should do. We'll all buy Ubuntu <clears throat> phones if they do. Uh, Ryan, if we're going to play that game, what I say we should, well, I would say what we should do is start a campaign within System seventy six to ship one of their laptops as elementary OS. That's what I say we should. What? Do. Oh boy! Uh, oh. Or Mate or Ubuntu Mate. I would say that. No, I think honestly. Uh, I think really there is a certain design choice that should be made for the traditional desktop. Obviously, that's something that Canonical has gotten some flack for in the past. And the, mm-hmm. con- and the switch over to Unity 8 
is probably going to reignite that debate to some degree after it happens. But I actually – and I'm not going to put words in Wimpy's mouth. But in my opinion, the way it seems to be working is Canonical acknowledges the existence of the Ubuntu Mate project. It, it, is, it is an official flavor. They have extended uh, invitation invites to Wimpy to go to things like the Snap Sprint invite. It kind of seems like the ideal arrangement for end users at this point because – Wimpy is able to manage his project as a, uh, as an independent project and make decisions that best benefit it and its user base while basing it on a technology stack that is not only aware of the project's existence but working amicably with that project. I mean it seems right now to be uh, sort of a, an, an ideal arrangement and – I, I mean, I wish the best to Wimpy. He could, he, if Canonical offered him a great salary, go for it, Wimpy. But I think, Wimpy, you have something kind of unique in your hands. I was just saying to Wes before we started the show, and, and you, you, you kind of mockingly reshared this or, or jokingly reshared this on Google+, but the, 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 the sentence that stuck in my head was the Linux distribution of the year. I mean, the the year is not over yet, but there are there are only so many distributions I would put maybe in the top three, and Ubuntu Mate is there, and I I I think you have a good arrangement now, and I think it's, that's just my opinion, but I think it's I think it's one of the best distributions of the year so far. Yeah, sadly not the best. It sounds like Solus. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ike's been working hard. He's been working hard and he, he did spend has. some time here on the he West sleeps. Coast. Yeah. I don't think he sleeps. No, he doesn't sleep. <laughs> uh, he's actually been able to So ship... in five years he'll explode and then you guys will be... You know... Somehow, somehow he's even been able to ship the Matei desktop for Solus. So uh, yeah. now yeah, who knows what could happen. good to see. That's good to see. <laughs> All right, so I want to move forward. We have some follow-up and feedback to get to, but I would like to hear your thoughts out there about uh, the – well, actually, Ryan, did you have thoughts on Polish before we move off? Yeah, the the thing that gets me is I, whenever I was using elementary this past week, and I've used Mate before, and, and the thing that I come back to is I've I've gotten so used to popping into a distribution and having like – these little things that bug the crap out of me and having to go through, you know, a series of steps in order to fix them. And it was so weird to, to pop in and feel like there had been a lot of focus on that polish. And I didn't really know what you were talking about, uh, in your, in your review till I popped up, you know, elementary on my own box and started playing with it. And I realized just the, just the little things that have gotten neglected for what I think are visions outside of, you know, that, that experience of, I have a desktop, you know, I have this desktop distribution. I'm going to make it as great as possible. And, uh, anyway, that was super frustrating. And, and I, and I'm glad that, that we have like Mate and I've talked to Ike quite a bit, you know, Solus talking about his, his full focus being on, uh, his desktop distribution and elementary, it sounds like they're doing the same thing. And I just really wish that there was that same focus from from other projects as well and making the desktop experience just work and be consistent and nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, that's that's I'll get off my high horse, but that's <laughs> that's uh, that's where my head's been today. And I was just so impressed um, the past few days playing with elementary that I so wanted to to talk about the great job that, yeah. you know, some projects are doing 
around that polish and that great experience. I feel like um, Elementary, Solus, and Ubuntu Batay um, might be my top three for the year right now at this point. And for different reasons for each right. one of them. I feel like they're 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 all – or at least to some extent distributions you could recommend and the, the caveats that you would have with – that would go along with that are pretty minimal. You know, well, there's a lot of other distributions that like are amazing in some ways, but you have to be like, well, but except for this, and you're gonna have to do that, and uh, mm-hmm. but all of those would be like, I could set those up for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and just they, mm-hmm. they would be that's they would do great. That's, that's dead on. That's exactly that's better than I could have ever put it. It's a that thing where you start apologizing the moment. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh well, this is this is good, you know, but you're gonna run into this, mm-hmm. and I just want just you turn to it off. To, Wi-Fi off. Put it back <laughs> on. It's fine. Don't suspend. <laughs> Don't suspend. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. It is. Uh, it's 2016. I think some of the surprises have been so far. Now that we're more than halfway into it, has have been these distributions. But also, and not just because Ryan's here, because I'll also say same same goes to Entraware, is uh, some ag- and 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 Purism's working on it too. Yeah. Uh, some aggressive improvements, some some really aggressive improvements to uh, the desktops and, and laptops that run this stuff. And I think there's still people out there that have uh, perfectly legitimate reasons to choose a ThinkPad or a or even a MacBook Pro. I mean, or right. a Dell Sputnik. There's a lot of different hardware out there at this moment that Linux will run on, but the the uh, the locally sourced artisan homegrown 100% organic laptops that run linux have been better got the penguin tattoo right on them better than ever and now we have these distributions that are better forever and it's kind of a funny because um i don't i don't think we really talked a lot about this at the beginning of the year no we didn't Interesting. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. Let's. Uh, I think we've probably spent enough time on this. But thank you, Mumble Room. That's yeah. And if you have uh, if you have uh, thoughts on uh, Linux desktop customization, feel free to let us know in the comments. I want to mention Linux Academy before we move into yes. our feedback. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. Go get the advanced skills you need around Linux, the basics, but also really all of the cool things around Linux that are more more sophisticated. They have advanced training tools that increase your skills and encourage critical thinking and give you hands-on experience at Linux Academy. You start by going to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. They have labs and exercises that give you real-world servers where you get to actually work on this stuff, really feel confident with it, and walk away like you've actually done it before. In that interview, you can be like, yep. I, I totally hosed that EC2 instance. <laughs> I just destroyed it, yeah. and now I know what not to do. And you know what's nice about, like, specifically with the EC2 stuff, all included as part of Linux Academy subscription. It's not like you've got to go set up a separate thing and all of that. You can SSH right into the servers. They have practice exams and quizzes, learning plans that give you a time frame, and you can just work within that. In fact, if you're busy, they have availability planners that will sort of work with you on your days you have available and set up reminders. It's a super cool system full of Jupyter Broadcasting community members. And uh, created by Linux enthusiasts. I think the, the big thing for me is like, even just outside of the JB community, the amount that I've seen people jump on the Linux Academy bandwagon is amazing. Like, yeah, it's you know, like big old school admins, just the whole gamut of people who use yep. Linux. I've seen just like yeah, they're getting really knows, big. The people who use Linux, they they know about Linux Academy because it's made by people who use and love yeah, Linux. It's high quality stuff, and they're getting bigger and bigger all the time. Exactly. It is pretty neat to see them grow. LinuxAcademy.com/slash unplugged. All right, so this is an email that came into the show from Storm77. He says, warning, they may use Pro 5 Ubuntu manual that we linked to last week. Suggest 
formatting the external SD card. Hi. Hello. By the, hello there. Hi there. Hello. hello. In an episode, A uh, Real Pain in the Flash, LUP 161, <laughs> you added this manual to the show notes and he links to the PDF. By the way, he says, in the TWRP section on wiping the device, it also selects the micro SD card. This is the external SD card, not the internal one. I saw it in time, but just letting you know, I almost formatted my 120 gigabyte card. Just wanted to prevent anybody else from running into this. Uh, the backup is also incomplete, so I wrote a small tool to back up the entire flash onto an internal SD card. And he links this to that, too. And he says, give Wimpy his regards. Well, that's just great. Isn't Thank you nice? for the warning. And yes, likewise. The tool improvement. That's amazing. And it's great that, that you're doing that. I think you, you should let us know more about your experiences going forward. Uh, oh, Wimpy, can we get an update from you? Uh, all fine, going well, thank you. Um, <laughs> eagerly, <laughs> Good. eagerly awaiting uh, OTA thirteen in the hope that uh, Bluetooth is uh, Bluetooth, specifically Bluetooth audio, is resolved uh, for for my my device. I oh, thought nice. I thought literally you were going to end it with all's going well, thank you, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't ask you about your phone, do I? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was. Uh, in fact, I'm going to cover OTA thirteen a little bit in. Uh, the next week's episode of Linux Action Show. Whoa. So uh, check spoilers. that out. Uh-oh. Yeah. Check that. No, it's all good. It's good. I think it's, it looks like a pretty great update. So I'll just talk about that a little bit in uh, the next episode of Lass, which I'll be honest, was pre-recorded. <gasps> I know. No. I'm, go- I'm going on a little road trip, and uh, so we pre-recorded that. But so we, I do happen to know the future in that we talked about that new update. So Bluetooth is what Wimpy's looking forward to, it sounds like. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to whole bunch of stuff I'm looking forward to, but that in particular, I'm going to keep asking you, Wimpy, all the time because you know I'm living okay, vicariously I'll try and be through you. Prepared in the future. This yeah. is his revenge for you asking about when the Librem was going to arrive. <laughs> is that what it, I forgot about that? I that's forget. fair, I suppose. Yes, I, I think I, I was very... doing that for about six months. Then. <laughs> um, Chris, you need to buy something so we can bring that back. You should take mental notes, Wimpy. You can take, and I'll, I'll just ask you next week. Uh, actually, I just really want to know. Yeah, I'm that's so true. On the me precipice. too. Me too. Yeah, exactly. Paul writes in um, about Ubuntu Touch way into the Nexus 7. He says, uh, with all the talk recently about Ubuntu Touch and KDE, have you seen plasma-mobile.org? You talked about Wayland and how good that will be to have, but on Arch with GNOME 320, it's already available if you just check out your uh, gdmcustom.com file. Finally, it's rumored that there will be a Nexus Pixel 7 this year. If that happens, do you think Ubuntu Touch would be released for it? Keep up the great shows, Paul. So, Mr. Popey, can I pick your brain on what is the process when a brand new piece of hardware ships? What is sort of what is what's the impetus to get Ubuntu Touch on that device? Is I got to imagine it's a it's a it starts with somebody picking up a piece of hardware. Yeah, it, for the most part, they're community ports, so it's you've got to have. A, someone skilled in doing the porting, and B, they've got to actually have the device. Yeah. And then third, third, the real, the real killer is time. They've got to have time to actually sit down and do the port. And when you have a never-ending supply of Android devices coming, and people, you know, saying, "Hey, I want this one next, this mm-hmm. one next," it's it's actually a never-ending supply, <laughs> and you, we we need more people to 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 get involved in that because it's just you know there are more devices out there than there are possible people who can port them you know i, I would um, imagine so it's it, it it's a small team but yeah generally pick up a device and uh, you know get the source code for the kernel and all that kind of stuff and then start the porting effort and follow the documentation basically so far and this could change over time but it seems like the way it works is when a device reaches reaches a certain critical mass 
which it can sometimes be a year or two after its original release, um, you start to see uh, enough community members coming together to work on that device, like uh, the Nexus 5, for example, uh, or or other devices where there's just – it's kind of nice in a sense because it gives a device of yours a second life, but at the same time, as the community grows, I would expect that might scale a bit more. Right. And and there's a lot of resources. It's typical, like developers scratching their own itch. You know, if, mm-hmm. if someone yeah. has a Nexus Five in front of them and wants, you know, wants the port to happen, then they'll either try and do it themselves or they'll throw some money at somebody else to do it. It's you know, if you if you don't have a if if there's a device and you don't actually have one, you're probably not motivated to want to port to it. There and then is, you need that because there are a lot of people. Yeah, there is like a there is a uh, shoot. I'm blanking on the name, Popey, but there's kind of like a bounty source equivalent for device ports, yeah. isn't there? UB ports. Yes, UB ports. Yeah, yeah. UB, UB ports. ports. It's it's got a Patreon as well. Okay, there you go. So that that is an that is a fascinating idea too. In fact, I think I've I think I've actually. Uh, well, because you kind of need that whole, like, you need the people developing it. They need to have the phones, and then you need the people who are willing, who have the phones, and are willing to like run it, and then submit bugs mm-hmm. and you know patches and core dumps and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating though because it can all happen. It just takes a community. We just got to do it. It takes a village, Wes. It yeah. takes a village to raise a phone. So Java King writes in and wants to know my Bitcoin Linux details. He wants me to expose all my secrets. He says, "Hi, Chris. You mentioned using Bitcoin. I'm a new Bitcoiner, and I wonder if you might elaborate on your setup. Maybe share you with your audience." Here are some questions I have. Do you use Bitcoin Core or a lightweight client with Multibit or Electrum? Have you securely backed up your wallet.dat? Do you perform all transactions from a single desktop? And what currency exchange do you use? And what app do you use to monitor the Bitcoin value? Thanks, Java King. Boom. Give us the D. It's Chris. So Java King, uh, you're a new Bitcoiner and uh, you wanted to know how how I uh, secure my setup. Uh, I'd say my first step is don't tell people how you use Bitcoin. That's my my first Ah. hint. Uh, because that is the worst thing you could do. But since uh, I am here, it's out. I am here at your service. I am here for you. I will. I will expose myself. Uh, so I use Electrum as uh, my wallet of choice. It has. I've mainly since I started Plan B. I've I've used this because uh, I I've had an on and off conversation thread over the years with the developer, and so I just happen to know the person behind nice. it, and I like it. But also, I like the fact that it fires up right away. That's one of the things I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy about it. Have you tried Electrum? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I also like the in, the instant on. Yes. really that's yeah. a big sell. Yeah. So uh, Electrum is the uh, the wallet of choice. So then he said, uh, "Do I back up my wallet.dat file? Uh, how do I securely back up my wallet.dat file?" Uh, well, one of the cool things about Bitcoin Java King is you could actually store it offline, and there are methods to actually even print it out and store yeah. it if you want. So look into that. Um, do you perform all transactions from a single desktop? Yes. Uh, and uh, I back that directory up. What currency exchange do you use? I'm lazy. I use Coinbase. Yeah. What do I you al- use? I also am lazy and use yeah. Coinbase. Uh, and I've also talked to the people behind Coinbase before, and I know them, and yeah. I like them. Uh, so what desktop app do you use to monitor the current Bitcoin value? Well, I uh, am apparently a masochist. I use a GNOME extension. Oh. And so I have a GNOME extension that uh, works all the time. So right now, the Bitcoin price, as we record this episode, is at $609.64 a U.S. greenback. This morning, it was at $611, and so I made a small Bitcoin transaction on behalf of the Jupiter Broadcasting – well, my Bitcoin, but I purchased something for the Jupiter Broadcasting <laughs> Network because I made the guesstimate that that's the high for the day and I need this right. thing. And so that's – I kind of watch that, and if I know there's something that the network needs, 
Um, I watch that on my desktop and I try to I, I try to make my purchase in the point where it's at the highest value of the day. Uh, and there's there's I have I have so many Bitcoin bookmarks that I also check, but um, I like we, Bitcoin we, average. That's the one I was going to say. Bitcoin yeah. average is just the I one just I would have go a little with. pin tab with yep. that. Check out Bitcoin average. We also have the uh, we also have some Bitcoin functionality built into JBot. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and if you want to follow news, the Bitcoin subreddit's usually pretty good. You can go there and check that out. Bitcoin's still hanging around. It's hanging around. And uh, Noah is actually still mining Bitcoin to this day. Oh, is he? Yeah. Wow. He does. He has some dedicated rigs to it. Wimpy, do you mine any Bitcoin anymore? No, it's a fool's game. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think Noah gets the power for free for some reason. And I, <laughs> like it's like from like this, right. like this building overall payment not, that he makes. I'm not even sure it's worth it for the heat that it generates <laughs> uh, <laughs> anymore. Yeah. 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 I did look into getting some of those faster USB uh, mm-hmm. A6 yep. uh, to plug into a Pi. Yeah. But um, the difficulty now is astronomical, even if you sort of used a dozen of those. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. You're just, you're just participating in the network, playing your role in uh, keeping the network healthy, but you're not actually going to make anything. You need some serious horsepower these days. I have, uh, I have, I have been experiencing um, s- some interesting, like, holy, sh- what? You're using Bitcoin? And they're like, ah, yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. What? Bitcoin. And I'm like, I'm totally shocked. I I look at them like, you know what Bitcoin is? And they look at me like, I've heard this word before, but I have no idea what you're (laughs) talking about. Uh, There are more and more small independent shops in Washington that are using Bitcoin as a back-end payment, as a back-end sort of – uh, what is the right word to use? It's like the, it's like this, it's the payment processing. They're using Bitcoin to fund the transactions and the payment processing, and then they're immediately converting it into cash. Right. And so, at the point of sales device, I give them a Visa or a Mastercard, but when they swipe it, the payment processor is using Bitcoin to to float the transaction or something, and then the merchant receives the payment in cash. Interesting. And this is there's a lot of little businesses doing this now. And they have it hooked up to the tablets and wow, yeah. But so you just use your your Visa card. regular Visa card. But Bitcoin is used on the back end as some sort to of facilitator. Interesting facilitator. Yeah, huh? I've been meaning to look into it more. We, we should definitely look into that. I'm mm-hmm. curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, it's it's Bitcoin's still out there. Yeah, Electrum is my wallet. There's MultiBits, another oops, MultiBits, another good one. Yeah, check out. Um, but I, I like Electrum. So, Wimpy, do you uh, do you have a wallet that you like to mention, or do you want to talk about your setup at all? Um, well, these days I use Coin Corner as my exchange and my wallet. Mm. Okay. Coin Corner, yeah. Nice. I've heard yeah. of it. So they're based in the Isle of Man, uh, which is in the shores of the British Isles, but uh, independently governed. I like <laughs> I like that that was, that was your requirement. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't a requirement. Back when I was looking, because I, I went through the whole, uh, you know, getting out of Mount Gox, before yeah, right. that all yeah. I mean and and even when that was like the only reputable exchange around it was it was always a heart and mouth moment <laughs> whenever you did any kind yep. of yes. um, gosh it was oh, man it was just awful so i was looking for an exchange and a few a couple of years ago yeah about 2 years ago i found coin corner and they were a startup then but they'd got all the right bits in that they could do uh 
uh, sterling, euros, dollars. They'd got all the necessary financial approvals. They'd got a sensible bunch of people behind them. And I switched all that over to them and I've not looked back since. They've nice. been a really good service. So oh. they're much like Coinbase, but that they are in this part of the world, which was kind of important. Absolutely. For me. Sure. That makes sense. And of course, our uh, our Bitcoin expert, Popey, any uh, Bitcoin update from you? Hmm. No. Hmm. Seems like he I doesn't think he wandered off to bed. Nope, he just doesn't have a Bitcoin update, I think. He just uh, doesn't have one. <laughs> He's counting all these Bitcoins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Filthy rich past. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's Unplugged. If you would like to send us an email, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. You're also encouraged to leave feedback wherever you watched this or visit the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And man, would we love if you showed up live. jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And also, shout out to the Linux Gamer who may be joining us next week on what? the Unplugged program. That's right. And don't forget, tune in live at jblive.tv. And if you'd like to join our virtual lug, go get Mumble and then bang Mumble in our chat room to find out more. We'll see you back here next Tuesday. jbtitles.com let's go pick our title you guys let's go figure out what we're going to call this sucker hey guys thanks for being here it was a good show I really appreciate it great mumble turnout yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. that mumble room virtual lug jbtitles.com while we do that let's see if I can type now with the live updating too. So have you been doing desktop customization? What do you been? You got, what, what do you got going on over here? No, I, I. This oh. has not been customized at all yet. Oh, I, is this I just installed? Stock? I installed it as we started the show. Damn, damn, snickety. Thankfully, Quasal is really easy to install, so that That's helps. True. That's true. That's why I'm running Firefox. Well, I have Chrome now. I just haven't switched. Linux flying high. Linux is for tweakers. Yikes! <laughs> Yikes! That's tweak. tweak. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see. While. Uh, while we go vote at jbtitles.com, a brief distraction. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You said commercial software. I don't know what to make of this Indiegogo project. Its, it's title uh, gets me excited. Big Brother needs to be stopped. Independence Day for your private data. A new way of using cloud services and messaging apps. And they've got 20 days left to raise some funds. I'll play a little bit of their publicity video and maybe we can, Let's we can see talk. It. I wonder, can I get a larger version of here? They see it's trapped in the, uh, yeah, here we go. Let's watch this thing. Hi, we are Zengi. We'd like to show you a new way using cloud services and messaging apps, a way that's simpler and more secure than ever before. Are you one of the 1.6 billion people on our planet using messaging apps and cloud storage every day? Cool yes, Great. Am. You can share anything you want with the whole wide world. But what if you don't want to share? Is that even up to you? Think about it. What actually happens to your messages when you hit send? 
and what happens to your data when you upload it to your cloud service. Some cloud services are easy to use, including for data snoops. Some are transparent about what's under the hood. And a few even manage to keep the door shut on Big Brother. But there's not a single solution out there that delivers all three of these requirements. But with Zengi, you're always protected. Not only do we encrypt your data with the best available code, we split every single file into countless fragments, which we then distribute across all cloud storage services you use. So this is like a layer that says on top of your cloud services. I see. Interesting. So for the cloud provider and anyone else, your data is just a random collection of unreadable data chunks. Because with Zengi, only you have the key to the fully assembled files. Nobody should see your messages but the people you sent them to. WhatsApp and other providers claim they encrypt your message. But you are also just claiming that you encrypt my message. You got to give me a little more here. And don't snoop on them. But do you really believe them? Zengi is open source. So you can see yourself that our code is secure and free of any backdoors. I like that. Or get a nerd you can trust to check for you. Zengi is the world's first encryption solution for the people, by the people, not some big multinational. Even when there are secure solutions out there, they never just hand it to you on a platter. The thing is, your security shouldn't be some puzzle you have to solve. He's got a Rubik's Cube. It's a serious yeah. game and you should be free to play it by your own rules. Did he solve it there? Rules no. that you configure. You know what would be great is if it was part of, you know, you know what's a stretch goal for a project like this that I would be totally behind? Is you know you do your main funding for for actually accomplishing this, mm-hmm. but then in one of the stretch goals, a full third party audit. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, Isn't that yeah. that would be a great stretch goal that I could get behind. Cool. Go ahead. Using the simplicity of Zengi rules that protect you and the people who you really trust. If somebody is hyper security conscious, are they less likely to use a Fitbit because he's got a Fitbit on? That's I don't a good know. Question. Yeah. Who those people are. What they're thinking, where they're from, how they look like, what they're working on, how they look like, and who they love. Basically, everything they want to keep private is protected by Zengi. Zengi works, and for one very simple reason. Feels like it's an all-in-one solution the video a that combines security, transparency, and usability to give you back total control Stu. of your digital identity. I feel like this is also them wanting to show off their entire team. Yeah, probably. And that guy did just solve that Rubik's Cube in the background. Yeah. That was kind of cool. All right, that is cool. Other solutions lets you choose a key. With Zengi, you have ownership of the key and the lock. Zengi will create a complete ecosystem where security, transparency, and usability are yours anytime, anywhere. So your digital identity is always protected. And sometimes that can be pretty important. Zengi puts you back in control of your personal data. Zengi will give you the power These to guys. protect your digital identity. These guys do look a bit like a stereotype, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna just... <laughs> Good for them, though. Okay. Their so, music sounds like a, like a radio spy novel. Yeah, yeah that's really a good does, way to put yeah. it. I like that. That's a nice way to put it. Um, so let's look at the uh, – let's see if they uh, tell us much about the uh, the underlying technology. They have, they have, uh, they have good uh, – dress like a boss. That's cool. They have cool – they have cool – the all-in. They have good good price levels. Let's see though. We got we to gotta get some details on this. They say they, uh, they created a foundation for a new standard of security and transparency and usability. Well, those are all things that I, we like. That sounds good. That's not the details I want. 
Uh, they say that your data is encrypted with AES-256. It is split into tiny chunks and distributed to all cloud services you use. So for the cloud provider, it sounds like, yeah, it really is a layer that sits on top of your Dropbox and your Google Drive and just gives them bits and pieces. So what happens if you've split it between all these places and one of them goes down? Is all your data gone? <laughs> I think they're saying that it sounds like they're they're not splitting it across the separate things, but they're splitting it. All, they have to know how to put pieces back together, and they're all they they have all the bits, but they're put they're because they're separated. You'd have to have the key to put them all back together. It looks like yeah. Linux isn't supported until seventy thousand dollars is raised. Yeah, but it says it's Shucks. a messaging app, right? Why? Well, it's not clear. It says it does those. How does things. it actually sync with other users? Does your phone do the like federation? Can I use my? Here's the question: Can I use my existing cloud accounts? Absolutely. You can link all your existing cloud accounts or simply add new ones. However, the data in your existing accounts must be re-uploaded to guarantee full security. Wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Well, I suppose that I mean that these guys to, right? become the gatekeeper for all of your online services. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You're, you're now trusting a company you've never heard of with all of your online <laughs> well, stories. They would argue that's their advantage: is that they are a uh, non-multinational small group of folks that are creating something by the people for the people. That's as mm-hmm. they say. That's their argument. I mean, you're trusting somebody for something. Even your grandma can use it. Is that thing plugged in? Does that say it's plugged in there, Wes? Is that what it says there? Can you tell? I don't know what those icons mean. Windows. Yeah, I don't. It does look like it, yes. Okay. Fully charged, 100%. uh, Okay. Does have a their goal is only thirty five thousand dollars? Yeah, and they don't they don't have Linux support till (laughs) seventy. What? But like, what are they going to do with thirty five thousand dollars? Are they planning to bang this out in like a month with four people? They would have to have already had a bunch of funding, I would think. Uh, huh. So I think, I, unfortunately, even though it's something we'd all like, I think we're all saying nope. I think it's kind of a nope. Denied. The goal just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, they would be such a critical point and of how failure. How do you sustain yourself on thirty-five grand? And how do you? And in, and then so and they show it right here in their diagram. If you are the front end proxy to all of these different services, and they the ones they have, they have Box, Pax, uh, Own Cloud, and Drive on here. They actually don't have Dropbox's icon, but they have all the other ones on here. So two things. Like was just mentioned, if they go offline, you can't get access to your data potentially. But mm-hmm. aren't, you just, aren't you just giving the government the, the, the best gift in the entire world? They just have – instead of having to go to four different providers, they just go to one provider. And if they, even if they just got the metadata, if they just got well, no, the time and date no. that, and where you uploaded to, that would be something. I mean this seems like this is one place to serve a national security letter to instead of four different places. Even if it's not getting the data, even if you're just getting the time and date the user logged in, the IP well, they logged in from, and the amount of data they uploaded to, and the services they went to, that's that's valuable information. Well, sure. is Sangi actually storing anything on their end, or is it just a software solution that combines all your cloud accounts? Well, I'm not saying they're storing the data, but they probably have logs of when you connected and logged in right, and transferred. I'm asking though. They, well, they they should tell us these things. Perhaps <laughs> yes, there's a lot of implementation <laughs> questions. That are like, like, they, they, how I are like, you doing this? I like how they're growing out. We created a foundation for a new standard of security and transparency. They keep going after this, but then they're they're not very transparent about how this works at all. Uh, they say that they're going to put their code up on GitHub. Well, that doesn't make it transparent. No, not really. That's like the the first thing that you do on the transparency. Doesn't tell route. us what you're doing on the server side, though. No. Doesn't tell us how you're logging it. Oh, where the funds go? This is good. They're making it secure for Linux, so because you're not be able to use it. Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, excellent point. 
You have a thing that says where the fun. Oh, where? Where? Yeah, they yeah, go? yeah. Scroll down on their Indiegogo page, and there's like bars and these graphs, and it's like fifty percent of the stuff goes to development and admin, and then there's like marketing and oh, that's what that and is. Miscellaneous and yeah, yeah, that's known as a chart, but, Chris. Oh, yeah. there it is. There it is. Huh. But that, still, that's and that's at a hundred thousand. Seventeen thousand dollars goes to development for your base goal. What? For what paying? is supposed to be like a world premiere secure <laughs> product. Yeah, and it has to integrate with like eight different services out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Who's like, are they like going to take on the burden of maintaining all of those API wrappers all the time? Yeah, boy, that just right there could be a job. Yikes! Not to mention, I'm sure that um, Dropbox and Google is not super keen to having a third party between (laughs) them and their customers because, from Google's standpoint, Google wants to do their utmost Mm -hmm. supposedly to protect your privacy and data, so they're not going to like this. This reminds me of like when you used to be able to use. uh, if there was a fuse layer so that you could store files in your Gmail storage, by like split it up into lots <laughs> yeah. of different emails. I think somebody, I think a company should take LibreVault or or something like SyncThing and productize it and just say use use and and sell it as combining all of your computer's hard drives into one online secure storage. Right. No online cloud account, no service, no account required, just uses all of your device's storage and pools them together in a super secure encrypted way. Why is that not a product that people are selling on, on Indiegogo or Kickstarter? That seems pretty because obvious. Couldn't that would be excellent. It. It's all about grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they wouldn't be able to do a subscription service. Oh, you got it. Yeah, that's true.